It has been called the greatest document in the history of humanity. Whenever and wherever people have studied and accepted its teachings, they have discovered hope, life, peace, prosperity, and deliverance from tyranny. Welcome to Romans. Welcome back. We're talking about what some scholars have said is the greatest masterpiece ever written. We're talking about the book of Romans written by the great apostle Paul. In the last program, we dealt with Romans chapter 1, introduction. It says that the world of the unchurched, the Gentile, the, the pagan world is lost. Now we turn to Romans 2. And the theme of Romans 2, here it is. Not only is the pagan world lost, but in Romans 2 it says, so is the religious world. Romans 1, the unchurched. Romans 2, the churched. I want you to come to Romans chapter 2 and verse 1 and uh, verse 17. Romans 2 verse 1. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Have you noticed that the people who are the most critical are usually the people who are the most guilty? And then if you come down verse 17, indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. And so when you study, study through Romans chapter 2, it says something like this. It says, you think you're better than the pagans, talking to the religious people, talking to the religious right. You think you're better than the pagans? Well, actually, what the pagans do, you do exactly the same. And every time you point a finger at somebody, every time you point a finger, have you ever noticed, hey, you, you got three pointing back at you. Romans chapter 2, 23, 24. Romans 2, 23, 24. You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So the theme of Romans 2 is this. The religious people who had the law of God, that means basically the Bible, the religious people who had the Bible, when it came down to, to reality, these people were no better. <laughs> so if you read this chapter, it says, you know, you talk about people doing this, the sins of Romans chapter 1. Well, actually, Paul says, you religious people do exactly the same thing. And he says, the name of God is blasphemed around the world because of the religious people. So this is the theme of Romans 2. It's pretty hard to stomach. He says, the religious people are no better. All are under the wrath of God. Um, we're talking good news, are we, so far? There's no good news at all because Romans 1, Romans 2 says, everybody is under the wrath of Almighty God, a righteous God. Then you come to Romans 3 that many scholars say is the most important chapter in the most important book 
I want you to notice it with me, please. Romans 3, this is the theme. All men and women are in a state of sin, both Jews and Gentiles. But God has provided a way of escape. His solution is the great and the wonderful good news. And it's not good advice. Look at Romans 3 verse 10. Now this is not real good news. He's starting to make a summary now. Romans 1, Romans 2. Romans 3 gives you the summary. This book is written like a lawyer's brief. It's full of great arguments. It's, it's logical. And, and, and it's not for, for superficial people. It's for people who, who've got hearts for God and people who really want to get home to the kingdom of God. So Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, he says, As it is written... There is none righteous, no, not one, not a single person. And then verse 13, he describes uh, the human race, it says. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of, of asps, snakes, vipers is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, and goes on and talks about the rest of the sins of the human race. Uh, folks, it's almost too much to take in. Romans 1, the world of the pagans stands under the wrath of God. I don't believe in the wrath of God, people say. Well, the Bible does. Romans 1 the Gentiles are under the wrath of God. Then it talks about the people who've got the scriptures, the people who are keeping the commandments of God. At least they think they are. But it's all just a sham. And the Bible talks about the human race and it talks about people opening their, their mouths and out comes the sewer, the filth, the lies, the name calling. Does this resonate with anybody here? Does this sound like our society? When people talk in politics, you say, oh, you're getting too close. Now, you, now you're starting to, to meddle. You turn on the television, you hear a politician, name-calling, lies, filth. Under the wrath of Almighty God. So Paul in Romans 3 says this. Listen to this carefully. We are all locked up in the prison house of sin. The law of God is the jailer, and he has turned the key. In my work as a minister, I have met people who tell me, oh, you don't understand. I have never sinned. I'm a perfect person. I keep all of the commandments. Such a person, the Bible says, is totally spiritually deceived and deluded. Romans 1, the Gentiles. Romans 2, the people with the Bible. Romans 3, everybody standing under the wrath of Almighty God. Look at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped, notice the words, and all the world may become guilty.
before God. Have you noticed today I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel? This is not just a little baby talk. I'm not saying, well, God just wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to drive a Rolls Royce. And if you send me money, you're going to be tremendously wealthy. That's not the religion of the Bible. The Bible tells us that we are all locked up under the wrath of God because of sin. Charles Wesley understood this. The brother of John, the great preacher, Charles was a great hymn writer. He wrote, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. I'm going to give to the audience a little warning today. There is a great danger in coming to Christ too quickly. In a superficial sense, when people say, hey, I'm saved, I've just come and I'm, I'm saved. And they have no sense of the righteousness of God and their own defilement and their own sin. It's only when we know that we are great sinners that we will cry out for a great saviour. And the sin of our present age in America, Australia and other places is the utter superficiality of our religion which is a mile wide and this deep. The wrath of God. I was the pastor of, at that time, the largest Adventist church in Australia, Wurunga, great church. Had hundreds of young people in that church. One morning, 4 a.m., there was a banging on the door and then a banging on the window. There was a young man. Uh, I'd been preaching this sort of stuff and and people were getting blessed, but it was causing a lot of people to get uh, uncomfortable. And he said to me, I can't believe what you're saying. He said, I've got to be perfect. He said, I'm up at 2 in the morning. I'm praying. I'm agonizing. I'm reading. I'm studying. I'm doing this. He said, I've just got to become sinless and if I don't, I'm going to be damned. So I explained to him the good news that we're getting to. He said, I can't believe it. And later on, committed suicide. So you better get this straight and ask God to lift us out of the world of superficial religion that we have fallen into. Romans 3 verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. We are not saved by the law. Oh, I am. No, you are damned by the law. You are not saved by your obedience, because your obedience and my obedience, they are not just enough, not good enough. There are no sinless people. I worked for a time in an area where they grew sugarcane. The sugarcane farmers would come in covered with the thick syrup of the sugarcane. They'd 
burn the sugar cane, then they'd go out and cut it down. When the farmers came in, they had a little room outside the house, North Queensland, where there was a bath and there was a mirror. And the farmer would look at the mirror, but the mirror didn't make him clean. The law does not make you clean. The law tells you that you are a sinner and you need a bath, which is the blood of Jesus. You see? And the reason people think they are sinless and better than others, it is because they've never seen themselves. As God does. And other people. What I need is good news. Romans 1. Pagan world. Hollywood world is lost. The world of Washington, D.C. under the wrath of God. Hear it again. The Bible talks about the righteous wrath of God. God is not a teddy bear. God is a great, awesome God. And he is holy. And because of his holiness, he demands righteousness. What a dilemma. What I need is not more platitudes and not more sugar-coated sermons. What I need is good news. Romans 3.21. But now, look at it. Read it. Escape from spiritual laziness. Read it. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Look at that word, the righteousness of God. What does it mean? I'll tell you what it means. Look at me and I'll tell you, if you dare. God demands righteousness, complete holiness, 24 hours of the day, seven days a week. Perfect love, perfect obedience. Put up your hand if you're that sort of person. Nobody is that sort of person. When uh, Martin Luther saw it, read about the righteousness of God, he said, I hate it. Now, Luther had a brain. He was a great theologian. He wasn't a superficial person and he didn't come to Christ in a flood of emotions. He said, I hate it. And the old confessor said, Martin, you can't hate God. You can't hate his righteousness. He said, God is righteousness. I am a sinner. God hates sin, unrighteousness. Therefore, God hates me. And if God hates me, then I hate him too. That's logic. But not the gospel. Perfect love, perfect faith, perfect obedience. People say, I've met people when I pastor big churches, little churches. They say, oh, but we, we're like that. We actually attain that. Don't try, to, try not to spend a lot of time with people like that because they'll be terribly critical and self-righteous. Very hard to live with. And I tell them this. If you make the moon low enough, any old cow, any old cow can jump over it. But we're not going to lower the moon. You know what the moon is? The righteousness of God. God will accept nothing from you than 
perfect righteousness. <laughs> but the gospel is apart from the law. Good news. We don't need good advice today. We don't need platitudes. Uh, we don't need to be told how to do better because none of us have done better. And the religious people are the worst. Romans 3.22. Romans 3.22. Here it is. Even the righteousness of God, this unblemished perfection, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who work their hearts out. No, who believe. For there is no difference. The righteousness of God is not by attainment, it is by atonement. His atonement. Now this is good news. At last, righteousness is God's gift. I do not attain unto it. Look at Romans 3.22 again. So good. Even the righteousness of God, this complete perfection, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all who believe uh, for there is no difference. If this is so, which it is, I can be right with God right now, which is what the gospel is, good news. And what you do with this will determine how you're going to spend this life and how you're going to spend eternity. And don't think you know it because you were brought up in the church. Romans 3, 23 to 25. How can God save me, a weak, trembling, unworthy sinner? Now, these are some of the most amazing words. Some people say this is the, the Everest experience of all scripture. Other people who are very superficial say, but I don't read it too hard. I just want to watch the Kardashians, I just want to. The tragedy of tragedy that people are going to be lost uh, because they watched the Kardashians and didn't look to Christ. Let us sink down into your ears. Don't run away from it. For all have sinned, uh, all of us, and fall short of the glory of God. Notice that it says fall short. The Greek says they continue to fall short. None of us are good enough. We fall short of the glory of God. Every moment we're falling short of the No, 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 says the perfectionist. I am attaining. No. You are falling short. Your problem is you just don't see it. But others can. Ask your family. Fall short of the glory of God. Being justified. Oh. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a, look at it, propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Memorize that, take it to heart. Learn it off by heart. Say it over and over again until it sinks down. What is it saying? It's saying that Christ took my place. God in Christ. Christ was God in the flesh. God in Christ bore my sin. 
He became my propitiation. What on earth does that mean? Some translations have changed it because it is too offensive to their delicate ears. They substituted the word expiation. I won't go into the Greek and put up arguments, but the correct rendering is propitiation. He suffered my condemnation and judgment. Let me talk about propitiation. Ask God to give you now a revelation. It's hard to understand except if you get a revelation from God. God is righteous and holy and demands righteousness and holiness. And the world, all of us, are under his wrath because we've broken his commandments. If we die outside of Christ, we die under his wrath. People say, I hate this. Well, I'm sorry, I never wrote it. It's scripture. But Christ on the cross took the sin of the world. And Paul said in one place, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He suffered the righteous judgment of God. Romans 1 talks about the righteousness of God upon the wicked. He took the righteous judgment of God upon the wicked. He, on the cross, took the righteous judgment of God, the vengeance of God upon the wicked. Why do you think he died so quickly? Why do you think he gasped out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cross didn't kill him. He was like, yes, it did. No. It was the wrath of God uh, directed against his son who had the essence of God. Sometimes we use the illustration, he took his own medicine. A mother wants a child to take the medicine, the child doesn't want to, so the mother takes the medicine. God didn't just push his son out into the arena and say, do it all, I'm going to sit on my throne. God in Christ became a man. And on the cross, God took his own medicine. and suffered his own wrath against his righteousness. This word justify, you need to get into your heads. It doesn't mean to make righteous, as has been taught by our friends the Catholics. And many Protestants believe it, even in my church. It means, justify means to declare righteous, as opposed to making righteous. Because of Christ's propitiation, if I trust fully in Christ as a penitent sinner, he declares that I'm righteous, as righteous as Jesus is. You say, I can't believe that. That's why it's called the gospel. <laughs> That's why it's called the gospel. People say, no, it's, it's got to be a sham. No, it's not a sham. The text says so that God himself can be righteous. 
God is righteous because the righteous God goes through the wrath of hell to atone for my sins. He becomes a propitiation so that legally he can declare me a sinner righteous. The moment I believe in true faith. Who could have thought that up? He also changes the life. This is called regeneration. Simultaneously, it happens with justification. He puts a new life in the soul. And I become a born again person. It is this teaching that liberates men and women and makes them joyful and takes away from sour church members the sourness and takes away from harsh people, critical people, legalistic people, takes it all away. It breaks the heart. Listen, he left his father's throne above so free, so infinite is grace, emptying himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. What love, what mercy, oh what a God. Oh what a God. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. This is the true gospel. In the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. John Carter reports, We have seen God's power as the gospel of Christ has been proclaimed in Africa, India, Russia, Ukraine, Cuba, El Salvador, and many other places. We invite you to partner with us in proclaiming Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. Right today, to the Carter Report, P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. That's the Carter Report, P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. In Australia, write to the Carter Report, P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. That's the Carter Report, P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, 
New South Wales 2260. Thank you for your generous support. We look forward to hearing from you soon. May God richly bless you. copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.